The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Nice buns, soft, fluffy, and ultra-low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious, ultra-low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving, plus high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from Hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H-E-R-O dot C-O. Welcome to Unfiltered Studios, your one-stop destination for a diverse range of podcasts that cater to every interest. Join St. Joe on Nailed It as he explores the fascinating times of the 80s and 90s. Find solace in the advice of a mother on Petals of Support. Dive deep into intriguing interviews on The Sleevy G Show. Catch up with the latest in sports on Unfiltered Sports Weekly. Connect with your spiritual side on finding your way. Achieve mental wellness with hypno-wellness. Never forget the history of everyday items with the Stupid History Minute. Understand how we've become the people we are today on how to be less of an asshole and gather with fellow movie enthusiasts on Movie Lovers Unite. Your journey into the world of podcasts begins here at Unfiltered Studios. Subscribe now and join the podcasting revolution. Unfiltered Studios, where every voice finds its place. Visit unfpod.com for more information. And hello, movie lovers, and welcome to the show. With me, I have an awesome guest. I have Marilyn Knapp, who's an indie actress who actually tackled down the cocaine bear, the movie Cocaine Bear. I actually seen her tackle down... And everything, and matter of fact, I actually saw her in the Matrix, tacking on with Neo from the Matrix. Also, seen her, matter of fact, I've seen her fight with the Muhammad Ali, and I also seen her fight with Bruce Lee. And you don't want to mess with Marilyn when she's mess when you can fight up against Bruce Lee and win that fight. So, guess what? We're going to talk about our top five movie scenes of all time. I can't wait to dive into this thing. We're scared, we're frightened, but we're good to go. So, let's go on ahead. Let's welcome Marilyn to the show and let's do it. And hey, Marilyn, how are you? I'm great. How are you, John? <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm doing good. Good. <laughs> so, you know, I found this list to be challenging, even for me, as someone that threw this thing together and was like, you know what? I want to do something a little bit different, a little bit outside of doing like a top 10 list or anything like that. I was like, top five scenes of all time. And it can be any scene uh, that you can actually pick out of any movie. So you can go with any genre. You can go with any type of uh, year or anything like that. So I like the fact that I picked something that anything goes. You just have to pick the scene and you have to figure out what scene actually outweighed the other scene. So so, you know, what what was your thought process whenever you were making your list? Um, I just went like what popped into my brain first mm-hmm. and I wrote it down and then I worked on it a little bit more and a few more things popped in and I think I had like 12 to 15 things and then <laughs> had to narrow it down. And uh, yeah, it was no easy task at all. Yeah, same here with me. Like I ended up picking one movie that's a Spielberg movie but there's a lot of moments in that one particular movie where I was like okay how did that scene outweigh the other scenes and what makes this one so special to the point where it's actually in my top five list of movies some of it was very simple all except my number two which I had a hard time with but some um, I knew what my number five was going to be right right from the get-go. I also knew what my number one was. But picking all the other ones, it was tough. So we're going to start off with our uh, our honorable mentions first. And then from there, we'll get on with the top five list of best scenes of all time. So I'm going to let you open the floor up with your honorable mention. Okay. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Well, um, uh, I did not see this movie in the theater because I was three years old. But back in 1963, Alfred Hitchcock did The Birds. Oh, yeah. And and there's a bunch of 
really great scenes, of course, in that. But I think the one that really stood out to me was where um, where uh, Tippy Hedren was at the schoolhouse and she went outside to smoke while the kids were singing really fun oh, yeah. kids' song. And then the birds gradually light on the the play gym behind her very gradually. And she doesn't even know. She's not even aware of it. And then she suddenly becomes aware of it and she turns around and the birds were everywhere. The panic in her face, uh, she didn't run, but she walked very quickly <laughs> into the schoolhouse and then um, got the kids out. And then that whole, you know, part of them running that I, to me, I think it's there were a lot a lot of scenes in there, but that scene was like when you really knew it was bad. I think that's when you really knew it. And you see, that's what I like about the birds, though, is the fact that it's everyday life, right? So we don't take notice of the little small things around us to the point where we're, okay, so there's something odd going on over there. Okay, well, big deal, big whoop. It's not a big deal because we're so consumed into our everyday lives to the point where it's like it becomes like normal to us. So as soon as we see something abnormal that's been taking place that overshadows that one moment, then we're like, oh, shit, we're in trouble. And that's something that I really liked about the birds. So that was actually a great iconic scene. And of, of course, also that song that they play and singing and everything, too, is kind of haunting, though, too, to set the tone for what we're in store for as well. So I definitely understand why you would pick that. And Albert Hitchcock is hands down one of my favorite um has a special place in my heart for some of his films, to be absolutely. honest with you. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to go with a 1970 movie, well, within the 1970s realm. And it's actually The Godfather. And I know everyone's like, well, you, of course it's going to be The Godfather because that's all you talk about. But I decided to go on ahead and talk about this as my honorable mention because of the fact that I don't want to be predictable within my top five list. So... The, oh, here's the thing. There's a lot of iconic scenes, right? Marilyn, there's Sonny getting killed. There's also the other scene where basically you have the husband getting uh, Sonny kicking the crap out of the husband for abusing his abusing the sister. Then there's also uh, the, the whole entire marriage uh, deal where you have Michael coming in and seeing his sister getting married and being introduced to the family. And that would actually be the somebody's top five list because of the fact it's the introduction to these characters. Michael's home from the war and he's like, I'm not part of this family. I don't want to be part of this or anything. Kate, that's my, that's my dad. That's my dad's life. That's not me. Next thing you know, we get sucked into that life. But for me, it was always the opening monologue of the, of the mortician where he tried reaching out to the cops about his daughter being abused. And Don Corleone basically calls him out on it. Well, you come to my daughter's wedding, looking for a handout. I'm not going for verbatim, and you don't even think to call me Godfather, but you ask for this one favor on my daughter's uh, wedding day. Okay, I'll do it, but someday you're going to have to return the favor in, in return. But the whole entire deal of dark shadows, and you don't even know where they're talking at or anything like that either. You just see this shadow and this man talking, and you don't understand where it's going. And then all of a sudden, you cut to Don Corleone. This whole entire opening monologue is just beautiful. I definitely love the writing in it, the tension within it, and I, I really like it. Yeah, I love that, and I agree. I agree so much, but I did think about... I almost had um, Sonny's death on my list, too, because I, I think uh, uh, James Caan was worried because he had so many squibs all over him mm -hmm. about the firing of those. <laughs> and uh, so I almost had that on the list. But yeah, definitely the opening is awesome. What's your other honorable mention? Oh, well, um, I love disaster movies. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, I think uh, the other one is uh, The Poseidon Adventure. That was 1972. Two. I was 12 years old. I don't know if you know it. Uh, no, I, I haven't seen that one. Oh, my goodness. Um, that is the second disaster movie after Airport. And it has Gene Hackman, Ernest Borgnine, 
uh, Red Buttons, Stella Stevens, a whole bunch of iconic actors in it. And it's about a, a cruise ship, and everybody's on this cruise ship, and they're all happy. And uh, it's on New Year's Eve, and, um, you know, everybody's celebrating and mm -hmm. singing and, you know, throwing confetti and all that kind of stuff. But there's this tidal wave that comes at them, this tsunami that hits them. And they don't have enough time to steer the ship right into it. So they turn over upside down. Okay, I've heard about this movie. Okay. And the set, uh, I mean, first of all, when you look at the way it's shot, you believe that it turned upside down. It was so awesome. But the set uh, was built, I think it was uh, in Fox Studios, big. It's massive. And it actually moved like 45 degrees so that people that were like at their tables having fun are suddenly like sliding and the stunt men go like, <laughs> yeah, on their heads and getting smashed by pianos and things like that. And then they had another set where everything was upside down. That was like the, the after set is what they called it. Oh, wow. And it's, and it's a story of survival, and there's only a handful that followed Gene Hackman, who was one of the preachers on board. And uh, it, it's just such a, a really fun film. And it's there's no CGI, there's nothing, it's just it. And, um, yeah, also one of the things that I loved about it is that as the characters went through what they went through, they pretty much filmed it in sequence so that their wetness and their whatever happened to them, like their makeup was all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. I, I've heard of the, I heard about the film. I, of yeah. course, I also remember them talking about the set pieces and stuff like that. Yeah. And it was something that I was always intrigued by, but I never went out to try and check it out. But the way you described it and everything is something that I would like, I would love to see. Because yeah. that's that's a movie that I definitely is on my radar because I'm I like disaster movies, but it's one thing to have a disaster movie that's taking place like earthquakes and tornadoes and things yeah. like that, but it's another thing to have it happen to you on a cruise ship and the whole entire thing's flipped upside down, and yeah. it's different, it's original, it's authentic. Nobody thought of anything during that time. Mm -hmm. I'm sold on this on trying to go uh, trying to watch this film now. Because I want to see that. Yeah, and the the acting was really great. Um, it just it was such a fun film, at least for me, <laughs> when I was twelve years old. But it never I gets old, and that's the Poseidon Adventure, not the remake. Okay, because I remember they did a remake of it, and I remember people saying it's not as good as the original. Of course, mm -hmm. most remakes are not as good as the original movies or anything like that. There's a select few, but you know that might be another one that I might have to do is like remakes versus uh you know, originals next time, <laughs> which might actually be something that I might want to do. Um, so this other movie's on my list, and it's No Country for Old Men, and this is my honorable mention. It's the toy toss that they do. He goes up inside this little side of the uh, gas station, mm -hmm. eating peanuts, and then the way that this character, the way that this actor plays his character is so haunting and everything. And he's like, so what time do you close? Uh, 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 dark. Uh, it's closing time now. And he's looking outside the window and it's broad daylight out. And the way that, uh, this, the guy plays this character is just fantastic. Yeah, I agree. That, that whole, uh, scene was so unnerving because you know, it's not good. You know, no, it's like so not good. <laughs> no. Yeah. And the way that and here's the thing though, the way that Harvey Bardem plays Anton, he's just so that awkward kind of guy that just walks into the gas station and you don't expect you know he's strange, but he gives off that like off-putting kind of feel to it. Like there's something more to this guy that meets the eye. And then as he's popping up the peanuts in his mouth and he's talking. He's not yelling. He's just being very grim and dark and to the point, to 
to the point where you're pissed yourself just seeing this guy. And there was a other iconic scene that I like too is like the air air hose where he winds up uh, killing this one person with the air hose uh, as well. That was actually another thing that was like my my friend and I who were watching it. I'm like, oh my god, did he just do? He's like, yeah. I'm like, how in the world? But just that the the scene with the twink pause for me is hands down one of my favorites. Yeah, I I totally agree. And Javier Bardem is just awesome. And that other actor that played the guy behind the counter was like he totally nailed. Yeah, <laughs> that that sense of oh my gosh, what's happening? And yeah, I'm not comfortable. And this yeah. is not going to end well for me. Kind of no. situation. <laughs> <laughs> but uh do you have anything else as far as your um honorable mentions go or anything oh i could go on and on but no i'm good <laughs> <laughs> so since i ended up ending it with my honorable mention list i'll let it go back to you for your number five. Oh, number five okay um so one of my favorite christmas movies is die hard <laughs> That's one of my favorites. Okay, good. That's 1988. Okay, so a lot of great actors. Obviously, uh, Alan Rickman was one of my favorites. As uh, you know, as far as I don't know, just uh, just being um, that villain and but so you know, educated and suave and all that kind of stuff. And um, Anyway, uh, I think the scene, though, that really grabbed me the most when I first saw it was uh, when they're on the roof and uh, John McClane is trying to get everybody down because the roof's going to blow. And the FBI guys, Johnson and Johnson, I'm by. No relation. Yeah, (laughs) no relation. (laughs) And so finally the people start going down and the FBI guys are shooting at him. And he's like, I got to get off this rooftop. It's going to blow. I got to save myself. And then he, he finds that um, fire hose thing oh, yeah. around him, jumps off. At the same time the roof blows, the FBI guys die. The helicopter's flying down, you know, just crashing. And then he hits the window. This is the best. And he bounces off the window and shoots it Oops. in the goes in and he's like oh good and then that uh the spool that the hose was on yeah drops and starts pulling him out out the window and he frantically finally gets it off and to me uh that was so thrilling and exciting and i don't think i've ever seen an action scene quite like that at least at that time it made quite an impression on me so that's my number five I can see why, though, because I love Die Hard. And, of course, I could go with, like, ho, 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 now I have a machine gun. Yeah. <laughs> or I can go with um, Hans pretending that he's an American. That was awesome. And, yeah. yeah. And the way he does, the way Alan Rickman does it is like a Shakespearean actor kind of feel to it. Because he is a theater actor. He is and, Shakespearean trained, too. Right. Yeah. And yeah. it's just so good to just see him try and pull this off. And I bet he just like memorized everybody's list, everybody's names on the list. It's like, okay, I think I'll go with this one uh, yeah. if somebody asked me. So yeah. I like that one. But the scene that you're talking about is totally iconic. Mm-hmm. It's on every trailer. It's explosive. It's also this wide open range shot. You see all the action sequences, no shaky cam. He's doing right. and the way he's able to just get around and maneuver into that whole entire thing because he's just a normal guy visiting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on new, on Christmas Eve. Yeah. And this happens. And I I love it. I definitely love the whole entire thing of an uh, of this guy who's now turned to an action hero because of this one event. And, you know, I, I definitely like it. I like the banter between Carl Winslow and him talking back and forth, even though that's not his real name. That's what I call him because I grew up with Family Matters <laughs> with the uh, with the other cops. So I'm like, so this is a shared universe before he got transferred over to Chicago. Got it. So, because uh, Carl Winslow worked for Chicago PD uh, on uh, Family Matters, yeah, so I'm like, yeah. so this is before he got transferred. So he worked for Los Angeles before he got transferred over <laughs> to Chicago. So I made a whole entire backstory 
<laughs> but you know, I, I love it. Bruce Willis is hands down one of my favorite action stars. And yes, I do watch this every year for Christmas and everything. Mm-hmm. It has that flavor of a holiday movie, and I don't care what anybody says. Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I've actually got another gangster film on my list, and it's Goodfellas. <gasps> and I could have gone with when they killed Tommy whenever he got gets whacked. Or I could have went with the other iconic scene, because I was actually trying to think of different scenes within Goodfellas that I could actually put down. But there's also that other scene where basically Robert De Niro character winds up killing everybody that was part of that heist. And because they spent a large amount of money, whenever he says, look, do not spend this much money or anything because people are going to know that something's up and they wind up spending money on everything. You know, like pink Cadillac, they spent money on a fur coat and things like that. But for me, it was always this one shot of Henry Hill and his wife, Helen, walking into the Copa Copa Cabana uh, and the Copa. And I like how she's giving that monologue. I he, he said he was in construction, but I don't he was young. I didn't think that he was actually in construction or anything like that. And you see him maneuvering himself around the Copa. And you have this one single shot camera that's following him through this whole entire thing where he knows everybody. Yeah. Marshall Scazy did a fantastic job of painting that scene of uh, that one shot. And that scene for me is the reason why I picked that one scene in particular, because I kind of, like I said, there's so many good ones mm-hmm. to pick from, from Goodfellas, but that's the one I decided to go with. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Scorsese. Oh my goodness. What an amazing director. And yeah, um, I love that. I love that very much. And also, too, there's also another scene, too, like when my other favorite scene in the Goodfellas, though, but it's not iconic. It's nothing like that. It's when they just got done killing uh, one of the guys from the bar and they go over to Joe Pesci's mother's house and they're having dinner. And Joe's like, goes to his mom, goes, hey, I'm going to borrow this knife. Is that OK? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to cut the deer's hoofs so that way. <laughs> <laughs> because it's underneath the car and everything. It's a bloody mess, mom. I, you don't want to know anything about it. Oh my goodness. Yeah, take the knife. So, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Goodfellas is hands down. Great movie. Yeah. One of my favorites. So, what do you have as far as your number four now? Oh my goodness. See, I, you know, bounce back and forth between all these. Yeah. Um, so, number four. It goes back to 1990. Mm. Misery. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, I love that movie. Yeah. I mean, really, that's one of my favorite movies of all time that I've watched probably 100 times so far. Um, uh, Kathy Bates, phenomenal. Uh, James Caan, my goodness. Um, but and there are so many moments, moments in that. But the scene that just breaks me every time is the hobbling scene. Okay, explain the scene to everybody because I. Oh, okay. So, okay. So, um, so James Conn's writer and she's in love with him. His name is Paul. And she has every book ever made of his, uh, ever published of his. Um, and it's called Misery, you know, mis- the Misery books and uh so when she because she's pretty much a stalker she finds him after his wreck who he just happens to wreck by her and she finds him she saves his life and at first it's all good right and this Mm -hmm. there's big blizzard and everything happens phones are out all that kind of stuff but she's a nurse so she'll take care of him and she does a really good job, but mm-hmm. then gradually, <laughs> it, uh, he realizes that this woman's not all right, and he tries to find out more about her. Tries to escape. Tries to pick his because she always locks the door. Picks the lock, gets out out into uh, where, whatever, trying to search for help, trying to figure out what's going on, and she realizes it. But she never really says anything to him until she comes back from getting him. I can't remember. He, she went out, 
because she was already acting crazy. Mm-hmm. And then she comes back in and he's asleep and she injects him with something to make sure that he is totally asleep. And then the next morning he wakes up and he's all bound up to the bed and all kinds of stuff. And she knows that he had been out and she wants him to stay longer because he's getting stronger. His wounds are healing. And so hobbling (laughs) is, is what I can't remember. Was it coal miners or whatever they did to Indians? Okay. To keep them there because they would run away. She didn't want him to run away. And so she bound him up and put blocks of wood down by his ankles and then took a sledgehammer to his feet and broke his ankles. What a graphic scene. Thankfully, you only see it a little bit, a little bit of flashes, but you know what just happened. And that poor man is there forever. Yeah. And the thing that that I like about that is I always say less is more sometimes because you don't need to actually see it. Just the facial expression alone and the sledgehammer going. I mean, you get two seconds of the the foot going sideways. But other than that, yeah, that scene, uh, yeah. (laughs) And there's also this other scene, though, too, where Paul is working out with his typewriter lifting and he has to hurry up before she gets back in there. Yeah. And. And and he puts the um the let's see he does she doesn't have a um sling but she made a sling out of a sheet so he right. winds up taking the sh- uh the sheet ma- uh made out of a, a sling made out of his sheet back back in his arm again to make it look like he wasn't even strong or anything right too so I like how James Con did that and everything just left in the typewriter and then here comes Kathy Bates again and everything yeah. and it's just a I, I love it. I love the whole entire suspense of it. It's a winter-type movie. You're not going anywhere yourself because it's, you're stuck in there maybe because of the snow, maybe because of other situations or whatever. So it's like an isolation kind of film in a sense to where you're that much more scared for Paul and everything. I'm wondering if this woman is going to do any more damage to him that, than he already is. And God knows the PTSD that, he, that this woman put him through, especially the ending whenever the waitress goes yeah. up to his table. Yeah. And... He's like, and, and it's just a normal waitress. It's not a Kathy Bates or anything, but it's just the very thought of that happening to, to him. And yeah. that scene, everybody, I've seen mem- memes over this whole entire scene every single time. Uh, I actually posted a couple of memes before on my movie page and stuff like that, using that meme of Kathy Bates getting ready to do the sledgehammer and things like that. Uh, such a gruesome <laughs> graphic. Yeah. Thing without having to show anything. Yeah. Like I said, sometimes less is more. Right, right. I agree. So I'm going with another 1970s movie. So I went from 1990 back down to 1970. So uh, 1970s. But it's actually one of my all-time favorite films. It's a Steven Spielberg movie. It is Jaws. <laughs> <laughs> and for me, it's not whenever the shark shows up. Even though that was what I was going to put down, I'm like, nah, that's me being basic. I'm like, I don't want to be basic. It's me when Squints shows up and he does the Indianapolis speech. Oh, speech. Yeah. I mean, that monologue he does when he says, didn't see the first shark for about a half hour. Tiger, 13 footer. You know how you know that in the water sheaf? You tell me, you tell by looking from the dorsal to the tail. Mm-hmm. What we didn't know was that our bomb mission was so secret, no distress signal has been sent, that I could just picture it in my head mm-hmm. without any type of flashback of what this man endured. And I, I was sucked into the monologue. It gives me goosebumps every single time I watch it, especially whenever I have this calmness before the storm kind of vibe before what hap- after what happens during that night. So I like the sailor's tale of what happened to the Indianapolis on a ship where it's just them. Well, not a ship, but a fishing boat. Mm-hmm. This film, I love the slow pacing of it. I'm glad they didn't reveal the shark until like in middle ways through and stuff like that. I, I thought even though because of the, because of the fact that mechanics underneath the water didn't work. So Steven had to go in there and improvise on how to make it work. And 
it, it works out a whole lot better than what it would have probably would have been. And that scene to me is iconic. I was going to go with Jurassic Park, and I'm like, no, I like Jurassic Park, but it's a little too speedy and everything when it comes down to comparing the two of them. It's like comparing from apples to oranges a little bit. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I love the dinosaur, the T-Rex, and stuff like that. And yes, I grew up with it, but I also grew up with Jaws before I grew up with Jurassic Park, too. Even though I was like maybe eight years old or ten years old when I seen Jurassic Park in the theater. But Jaws was one of those movies that just got me into like uh, oceanography, got me into uh, studying sharks and stuff like that, mm-hmm. too. So, but what do you think? What do you think? Um, well, uh, Jaws is my favorite movie of all time. I'm not ashamed of that. <laughs> I think I think it was wonderful. Um, again, I'd never seen a movie like that before. It had everything. It had action, adventure, comedy. It was a thriller. It was a horror movie. It was everything. That scene that you were talking about, that monologue, yeah. really gave a huge amount of insight into Quint's character. Um, you know, he he wanted to get sharks. You know, he wanted to get them. That's what he did. Uh, that, that was his job, you know. Um, but also, there was kind of like a, survival's, a survivor's guilt thing with him where he would never put on a life jacket and all that kind of stuff. And so that was really, really such an interesting thing. The other thing that was so cool about it was the beginning where they compare um, our scars, you know? Yeah. I love the scar scene too. Yeah. But then after that whole, his whole monologue, then they got jovial, you know, they're drinking, Mm -hmm. they're, you know, singing, Show me a way, go right. home, and all that kind of I'm stuff. I'm tired. I just want to go home, banging yeah. on the table. Yeah, yeah, banging on the <laughs> table, and then boom, you know, stuff happens. But yeah, that's that's absolutely uh, an iconic scene, and and he was such a, a wonderful actor too. He definitely was. Uh, yeah, Quinn is hands down my favorite character in Jaws, yeah. even though I like Brody and I like the Richard Dreyfuss's character. Yeah, Hooper. But there's yeah. just something about Quinn. Yeah. That even though he, to me, he's like a doomed character yeah. because he survived this one thing. And then this one event of him trying to stop this shark from terrorizing Cape Cod right. ended up ending his life. So yeah. I like his character. He's a doomed character. That's the way I look at Quinn. He's like a yeah. doomed character. Yeah. So, uh, so what's your number three? <laughs> uh, Jaws. <laughs> okay. So it's, so it's going to head way back over to me. Um, so I decided to go with a Morgan Freeman movie with a Brad Pitt flavor to it. And that movie is seven. Oh my gosh. And seven is, even though, you know, Kevin Spacey's a, you know, he is what he is, um, but he, you can't, but he's a great actor. He's good at what he does. Mm-hmm. Um, but seven, whenever you have John Doe, going into the police station, all bloody, and then you have him in the back of the police car, and then Brad Pitt does the famous line of, what's in the box? Yeah, absolutely. That that was so horrible. Oh my gosh. Just the dread of him seeing his wife in that, in that box, and you know that he had to have seen her before he left. Yeah. And everything, too. And just to know a couple hours later, he's now face-to-face with the murderer that's done all these other murders, and now he has to decide if he's going to become a murderer just like how he is, mm-hmm. or if he's going to let um, the justice system work. And yeah. I love, I, I just love how Morgan Freeman tries to calm him down. He goes, don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah. Calm down. And yeah. I was, I remember my mom, she took me to a 9 o'clock showing of this film. I was like, you want to know all about West Maryland? I was probably like 12 or 13. <laughs> <laughs> oh my apparently God. she thought I was <laughs> mature enough to see this movie. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'm glad that I have a mother that didn't, you know, try to protect me from movies. Shelter you, yeah. In that kind of aspect. Yeah. Where I can appreciate this movie. Yeah. Even now as an adult and share those memories and everything and remember those times. 
And I just remember just feeling for Brad Pitt's character and just wanting to cry and give him a hug because of that scene. And he did such a fabulous job. I mean, Kevin Spacey did too, but he was... Kevin Spacey would be creepy. (laughs) Yes. But then, you know, when Kevin Spacey's talking to him and, you know, telling him about, you know, things and then, you know, know, your wife's beautiful and you're expecting a child and, oh, he didn't know. Oh, oh my gosh. And yeah, Brad Pitt, just the whole tearing up of things and being so angry and trying to hold back. That was wonderful. It really was. This is like Brad Pitt, peak Brad Pitt. Yeah. And knowing what we're going to get later on in the future of what, of what Brad Pitt can do. Yeah. You know? And this is actually right after he did True Romance, I think, as well. So, you know, it's just good to see him go from that little small part into something that he is now. It's, yeah. it's just awesome. Yeah, I agree. I think he's one of one of the best actors out there. Definitely. So, yeah. So, okay, so what about your number two? Okay, so number two, uh, I love Spielberg, and so it's Jurassic Park. Okay. The, the thing for me, um, because it had never really been done before, right? I mean, right. Spielberg, uh, he and his crew uh, create CGI, I believe yeah. so. And so, and it was for Jurassic Park. Well, he also did the computer graphics and everything for the movie too, though. If you, it was like yes. new age technology. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. And I think, I think what was so cool about it to me, which I never really, I can't think of anything that came close to it before that was, uh, you, you know about the dinosaurs, you know, it's bad. There's things happening. The kids go to the island, and then they get in these cars, and the power goes out because of this one guy. And But you never really see the dinosaurs when the people are in the cars. The cars stop, and you never really see them, you know? Right. And then the goat gets killed, and it's on. And that T-Rex steps out. Oh, yeah. And... They're screaming, the flashlight's going around and around, and the way that the T-Rex played with the car trying to get to them and all, you know, all that kind of stuff. And seeing the actors outside of the car having to look at basically nothing. Right. <laughs> in- interact with the dinosaur that's not there. I want to I think that the dinosaur was there though. I think I want to say wasn't it? I thought it was because I think they built the dinosaurs. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't realize yeah. that. Okay. Yeah. But they, but not actually chewing on them or trying no, to No, 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 no. Of course not. <laughs> but it, it was <laughs> right. there. Okay. Okay. Oh yeah. my gosh. Okay. Anyway, just just that yeah. whole uh scene to interact with live living dinosaurs was um amazing to me it was because i'm gonna be honest with you i reviewed this with tamika a couple of months back i love this movie so much um but the thing that spielberg was able to capture was humans were able to walk with dinosaurs for the first in in present time yeah and it's never been like i said it's never been done before uh you also don't see the T-Rex until like midway into the movie, kind of like a Jaws kind of feel. So it does have a little bit of a small build to that scene because remember they wind up trying to feed the goat to that dinosaur and the goat is still alive and then it's thundering, it's storming. And then all of a sudden they look, oh crap, there's no goat. That leg falls on Mm -hmm. top of the car. Yeah. And they have Jeff Goldblum's characters in it, Malcolm. <laughs> Which is actually my hands down one of my favorite characters in Jurassic Park. Yeah. Chaos but, three. <laughs> yeah. This film, I remember also doing going to the theater too. Like the auditorium was decorated in like jungle theme. And it was so cool to see a theater do that. I miss those times. And then they also passed out Doritos during the movie. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. Like the theater did a fantastic job of doing like little small happy stuff. For yeah. kids. 
I, I really enjoyed my movie going experience as a kid. I'm so blessed that I was able to have that experience. Yeah. But yeah, Jurassic Park is hands down one of my favorite Spielberg movies. And, you know, I I, I just like Jaws slightly better just because of the slow build. But everything you mentioned from the mechanics of the dinosaurs, being able to walk with the dinosaurs for the very first time, to the storytelling and the direction and the whole fact that they even filmed this and there was a storm coming. and on the island that they went to, there was actually a real bad thunderstorm and everything. And they had to try and save the dinosaur makeups and stuff like that for the mechanics because they were getting wet and everything too. And I, I, I just, I learned that from the movies that made us on Netflix. Okay. And if you want a little peek behind the current kind of thing, yeah. the movies that made us is hands down. One of my favorite shows on Netflix that gives you a little bit of peek behind the curtain kind of thing. And I'm, I'm peeked out over that stuff. They did dirty dancing. They've done die hard. They've done all that stuff for, for Netflix. And I think it's a great uh, little TV series. Um, So let's see cool. here. So, great. Yeah, so my number two, I'm going to go with a Stephen King movie. So, we got two for two now. I did I did one uh, Spielberg movie. You did a Spielberg movie. Now I'm doing a Stephen King movie. You did a Stephen King movie of Misery. But for me, Shawshank Redemption. Oh, yeah. Andy's Escape. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I remember seeing it for the very first time on TV because I didn't go to the theater to see this one at all. I've seen it on pay-per-view, like the commercials and things like that. I was young at the time. Like, eh, I don't care about that. I don't want to see Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. And then one day it was on TV. And I'm just stuck to the glued to the TV. And then you're wondering why is he wanting this little rock hammer? Why is he wanting a, a poster? And then you realize he's been basically just chop, chipping away <laughs> the whole entire time yeah. and making chess pieces out of rocks to make his escape. Yeah. And Morgan Freeman does a fantastic job, especially that monologue at the end. He goes, you know what? Just fuck it. You, you don't it, I, Everything I said to you, I tried to be real with you guys. And everything, and you didn't believe me that I have changed. So, what's the what's the point of even trying anymore? Right. So, and then you become institutionalized. I love this movie from beginning to st- from start to finish. Mm-hmm. But I always catch myself when Andy's doing the escape scene, where you wind up trying to look at the shoes, but you can't because it's like they only do like a half shot of him from the waist. Right. So you can't really see anything. I'm like, damn, I really would love to see that shot because I want to, I, I like to pay attention to details after I pay attention. Once the twist happens yeah. and go back to it and rewatch it. But the shot for shot of everything he did down to the T and the tax returns from the warden whole ball bag. I, I, this, this movie's hands down. Well, this movie should have gotten the Academy Award. Yeah, at the time. Yeah, and Tib Rob- Robbins did such a great job too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just amazing. Yeah, I love me some Stephen King. He's one of my favorite authors. So same here as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, anything to add as far as the Shawshank, or you're pretty much good on the on, the, on that I, one? I I'm think, just wondering. I think I'm good. Yeah, I like that okay. one. Yep. Okay. So, what's your number two? It, it was Jurassic Park. Okay. So now we're gonna go to your number one then. Yeah. Okay. Um, this one freaked me out so much. You know, but it, it's not The Exorcist. Back in the day when The Exorcist came out and people went to see it and they were all freaked out and they had to sleep with their, you know, bedroom lights on and all that kind of stuff. Well, uh, Alien okay. did that to me. Um, uh, that That iconic scene where uh, John Hurt's character, you know, they, they've gone through a lot. It's all dark and gloomy and, you know, everything. But then where they meet and they eat, you know, and they're gathered and it's all white and bright and everybody's happy and all that kind of stuff. And John Hurt's character, um, I think it's Carl or Kane. It's Kane. And um, he's survived, and yay, everything's great. And then he starts to choke, and he falls back on the table, and everybody's freaking out. And and then that first moment when the alien starts to burst through his chest, and then the next moment when it does, and it sprays the whole room full of blood, and that alien comes out and just does this, look around and goes, and then, 
Oh my God. I know. <laughs> I was like, what just happened? <laughs> right. Because you don't expect it. You don't expect that jump yeah. scare. You're thinking that everything is all, all good. You know, you, okay. He made it through it. He's fine. Yeah. All of a sudden you don't expect the jump scare. And I thought that the jump scare works. Yeah. Everything because yeah. you don't expect it. There's no area music being played to let you know that something's yeah. coming. Right. At all. It has this calm before the storm kind of vibe to it, where this calmness of like everything is safe, everything is okay. Then all of a sudden, bam, it hits you with that baby alien thing co- coming out of his. Oh my God. I, I Now I'm re- visualizing the puppet coming out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How it, just, that was. it freaked me out so much because. I'm very empathetic, so when I see something happen to somebody, I I think, what would that feel like? I mean, can you imagine? And and that's that's what happened to me. And then the shock on everybody's faces, and they just stood there. You know, what are they going to do? You know, <laughs> and it was just it was just. Um, uh, kind of terrifying, and I had trouble sleeping a few nights after seeing. I that. imagine so. I be f- afraid that an alien's just gonna come bursting out of my <laughs> stomach or my chest while I'm sleeping <laughs> in my bed. When you f- at least feel like that you're safe a little bit, but also vulnerable at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I think I think I would actually feel uh, uneasy about that too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so. Let's see here. I actually have a twin Tarantino film on my list for my number one. Yay. This is hands down my favorite movie. And it's Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. Yeah. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> I was saving the best for last for me because here's the thing. I have a hate love relationship with Quentin Tarantino. There's some movies I like and then there's some movies I don't really care for that much. But I cannot deny when he does this, what else, what if stories within history, mm-hmm. and especially Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is like a love letter to Hollywood and stuff like that, too, I get sucked in. I can't help it because I just want justice for the innocent people. Right. And so the iconic scene for me is when Christoph Waltz is in his, comes down from the hill because he's driving in that little Mercedes. Uh, bins that uh, Hitler has and he talks to the farmer and there's this eeriness about him coming down there and then the farmer looks at his daughter and tells her to get inside the house then you see the daughter whenever Christoph Waltz uh, comes inside the house with the farmer and these three girls are there and they're serving Christoph Waltz and as Christoph Waltz is doing this he's giving his monologue and then Underneath it, then you realize he's hiding Jewish people underneath the uh, building of the house. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is something. As soon as I seen that opening, I was sucked in right then and there. I'm like, this is a movie that that is definitely worth watching and horrifying. And you feel horrified for the people that's under there. And you're wondering is this what's going to happen? Is Christoph Waltz going to kill them? What's going to happen to the family as well because of the fact that they're protecting this family as well? And I also had a little bit of a hard time picking this scene or it was going to be the scene where they finally blow up the theater with yeah. all the Nazis in there. Yeah. But I definitely love the planning of that. And of course, you're wondering too if um, Brad Pitt's character is going to make it out of that building though too because he's trapped in there with everybody else and he was going to get blown up but this that's just a great opening and the wide open shot of the field and the dreariness of everything happening gives me goosebumps every single time I watch it and this is Quentin Tarantino's my my probably best film that I've seen him do, aside from uh, a couple of his other films I like. But uh, is there anything that you wanted to add as far as Inglorious Bastards go or anything? Christopher uh, Waltz is amazing. He's, he's like a chameleon. Uh, yes, yeah. yeah, he's just incredible. Um, I I also liked the bar scene. Oh yeah. In okay. The basement. Yeah. Yeah. That was really intense, I thought, because of the situation and how it kind of slowly went downhill. And (laughs) uh, (laughs) 
anyway, I, I like that one too. But yeah, both actually that entire movie I really enjoy. Same here from start to finish. And then of course you also have um Myers. Mike Myers is in it for like a little short oh, yeah. part. I forgot and, <laughs> and then you have Hitler yeah. in this film though too. Everything about this film just works. And I like a what if kind of story of what ha would happen if we would have just killed Hitler in a, uh, in a particular time and period, what would happen? So right. I like what if scenarios mixed in with a little bit of fiction, with a little bit of nonfiction and stuff like that, too. And getting what is due to these vicious people. So right. I agree. But yeah, that's going to be it as far as our top five movie scenes of all time. I hope that you guys enjoy this segment. I just want to thank to the people at the Unfiltered Studios podcast that are big support, big supportive of us and stuff like that, that uh, we're actually part of a network studio now. And I also want to thank Rossi, my co-host, for ho holding it down Give us a five-star review on where you guys get your audio-only podcast. And, of course, always until next time, guys. Bye. a new era in podcasting with Unfiltered Studios. Ready to break free from the ordinary? Dive into a world where authenticity meets innovation. Our network isn't just about podcasts. It's a revolution. From nostalgia to movies, sports to self-improvement, find your favorite podcast in an array of diverse shows. Only at Unfiltered Studios. Join the movement. Subscribe to Unfiltered Studios today and join the podcasting revolution. Unfiltered Studios, where every voice finds its place. Visit unfpod.com today to find your favorite show. Unfiltered Studios. We'll help you press record.